You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Saturday, June 22nd, we destroyed Gina's Grill in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's the Bad Boys and Tracy. It's the Ohio Podcast, Mysterious Circumstances, and Hillbilly Horror Stories. And all the way from Australia, it's Natasha Anchor, a.k.a. Amber from the Hillbilly Whorehouse. Buy your tickets now and help us this place up. See you there. See you there. See you there. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 142 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. Happy Easter, bok bok. Yes, unless it's, you listen to this tomorrow, which it won't be Easter. But when we're recording it, it is Easter. Yeah, hope everybody had a wonderful day with their family. We had a lovely time at both sides of our family yesterday and today. And if you don't celebrate Easter, then happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Sunday. Tracy. Jerry. We've established that we know each other. We have some cool stuff going on this episode. The story we got, first of all, is something that's completely different than anything we've done. As we get into it, you'll see why. Okay. Obviously, before we get too far into the show, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent, especially on a day like today when you can't be with your family. Amen. Appreciate you guys. Keep us safe and you be safe. We'll pray for you every day. Absolutely. Also... You can't get to a holiday without realizing that sometimes this is the toughest time for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got loved ones that they've just lost recently, and this is maybe the first holiday or the first few holidays without them. It makes it tough. Some people just don't have a lot of friends and family, and they're reminded when everybody else is, is out at gatherings that they really don't have anybody. And it's, but we're your family. That's right. So it's a really tough time for people. So on days like today, we especially want to remind people that you are loved. You are loved. Uh, we love everybody that's part of our community. And most of you have people that you don't even realize are part of your uh, friends network that love you also. And I just want to make sure that if you're struggling right now with with any kind of depression or any type of hard time in life, just realize that. We love you, and all of your friends and family love you, too. Amen. I love everybody in the world. If you need to reach out, though, here in the United States, 1-800-275-8255 is the suicide hotline. 741-741 is the text line. And, of course, we're available anytime you want to send us a message. And Night some of you day. have taken advantage of that this past week, and we yes. appreciate that. Yes. Thank you guys for reaching out. All right. 
couple of cool things. We talked about the story. Second of all, uh, we got some new show stuff we'll talk about here a little bit later. We do that in the middle of the show. But also, Tracy had the opportunity. You know how she does the Tracy raps thing, and, and most of you just think it's just the funniest thing, and I do too, so I love it. But what if I told you Tracy was actually featured in a real rap song? But I'm not rapping. No. No, because they were Praise smart the They were smart enough to realize that that, <laughs> that shouldn't happen. <laughs> but anyway, so we, we all know the Tragic Times, who actually did our little intro song there, and, and a lot of you have listened to his regular music. He thought it would be cool to have Tracy featured, and he hasn't put the song out yet, so I really can't do that. But he used Tracy for the refrain, and I do have a little clip so you guys can at least hear that. And we'll do that in the middle of the show. So make sure to eat your dinner before I come on. And maybe keep all dogs out of the room <laughs> as to keep from having any kind of uh, screeching or howling. Or We don't need your neighbors calling the police thinking you're mutilating animals here <laughs> oh on gosh. Easter Sunday. Yeah, I have that effect. <laughs> in all honesty, in all honesty, I think it's very good. Well, thank you. So... And I want to say thank you to Mike, because he was amazing for asking me to do that. It was very sweet. Who? I mean, tragic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, everybody knows that's Mike. So, all right. Are we ready to get into this story? I am so ready. I'm about to poop a peep. Please don't. But, you know, somebody posted a picture today of the pizza that has Ah, oh, I saw has that and peeps, tagged you in it. That, yeah, that's got peeps on it. <laughs> and... As I pointed out, as horrible as peeps are, that pizza was probably still better than Little Caesars. Oh, you're stupid. There's no way. So, and the only thing that, my God, I don't know who makes it. If that's Little Caesars doing that, I'm just doubling down on how awful they are. I mean, because Little Caesars is awful. I do not we, understand your We thinking. will never get them as a sponsor because oh. even, if, even if they came and said, hey, we will offer you a lot of money. If, I'll do it if, my thing sale. If it involved me having to eat it. Well, I'll eat it. <laughs> we'll just turn the money down. You're crazy. <laughs> I think it's delicious. <sighs> my God, you were deprived. You grew up in the country, though. Did you Did you even have pizza there? Yeah. <sighs> I did. All right, well, we're rambling. So bite me. You know, we'll get bad reviews if no. we go past like yeah, five minutes of rambling when that. I get into the story. So this show is definitely different than the other topics we've covered. I mean, usually you kind of know there's a classification that we can put whatever story we're talking into. It's either a haunting or a cryptid or UFO, possession, which, by the way, we have a cool possession story next week. Okay, but let me stop you. Yes. It's not anything like last week's story, right? No. No, absolutely Thank not. Thank you, Lord. Or like or unexplained phenomena. Okay, cool. Okay, so that's usually it. Now, what makes this story different? As it's kind of a cross between a few of those. Now, most experts will tell you that, and when I say experts, I mean paranormal experts. Mm -hmm. Most paranormal experts tend to say this fits more into a haunting. But some think that it's more of a cryptid-type creature that's involved in this. Maybe even some type of a semi-aquatic Type animal. Oh, that'd be cool. So you can kind of see how all this is yeah, I'm just kind of crazy. So are you thoroughly confused yet? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I would think almost everybody is right now. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? Tonight, we travel over to jolly old England to tell you the story of the nameless thing of Berkeley Square. No, it don't even have a name. It don't even have a name because nobody thing. knows what, what it is. 
So 50 Berkeley Square has been called London's most haunted house by many over there. It's primarily the, the second floor, though. Nobody is really sure when the very first incident occurred, but we do know when the first one was reported. It involved a 20-year-old uh, man by the name of Sir Robert Warboys. And this goes all the way back to the 1840s. Mm-hmm. So Sir Robert was in like a local bar over in London's uh, Holborn district. And he heard some strange rumors about this house, which was a boarding house at the time. Well, Sir Robert was not a superstitious type person. And he definitely didn't believe in ghosts. And he said that the legends were what he said, unadulterated poppycock. <laughs> I love any time I can say poppycock. Poppycock. Now, the other guys that were at the bar that he was kind of hanging with, drinking was, they uh, they weren't having any of that stuff. They basically said, well, I'll tell you what then. Why don't you go spend the night in, in the haunted room up on the second floor if you don't believe any of this? Oh, yeah. Now, Robert was a little tipsy at the time, and this probably gave him a little bit extra liquid courage, we'll say. He lifted up his drink, and he said, I wholeheartedly accept your preposterous harebrained challenge. Nice. So he went to the house, and he pretty much demanded to be able to spend the night on the second floor. Well, the landlord wasn't really keen on the idea, but after a few minutes, he agreed. The landlord had a couple of requests, though. First of all, he wanted Sir Barton to be armed with a pistol. (laughs) About to do it for me. I'd be already done. And then he also had a system set up, and he wanted to make sure that if Sir Barton had anything strange happen or out of the ordinary, he mm-hmm. would pull this string, like a, a cord, mm-hmm. that led to a be- bell. Oh, like that a was, bell Yeah, that, that was downstairs hear. to his room, mm-hmm. and then that way he could immediately run. So Robert smirked, but he agreed. He gets to the room. He gets all settled and everything. It's around midnight at this time. The landlord left him, and... He was all alone now, but not for long. About 45 minutes later. Dang, he didn't waste no time. <laughs> the landlord was awoken by the bell that was next to his bed. Before he could even, you know, get his wits about him and even realize what was going on, he heard a gunshot. He jumps out of bed, runs upstairs. He gets to the door of the notorious haunted room, pushes the door open. There he saw a sight he would never forget. Now, the room itself was exactly the same as it had been when he left it, except Sir Robert had been sitting at the table. Now he was just basically kind of uh, crouched in the corner, still holding his pistol. His corpse was contorted in a way that the landlord had never seen. He was only there in the room for a short time, but... It was enough to see that Robert's lips were peeled back (gasps) from his clenched teeth. He was grimacing in terror. His eyes seemed to be bulging out of his skull. The landlord looked into the uh, direct area that Robert was staring at, the direction there. And he could see the bullet hole in the wall. Apparently, Sir Robert had fired at whatever this thing was, but it had no effect on it. And that's the first story that we know of involving 
this creature. Whoa, that is like creepy. Why that guy still live in that house? Does that dude never come down to the first floor? That thing? I don't know. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> His lips. There's an abundance of stories that come from this house, ranging from strange sounds to confirmed deaths of, of guests and servants. But one confrontation stands out above the rest. So let's fast forward about three years after this incident. Over the years, some details have become sketchy, but the core part of the story remains pretty much the same. In 1943, two sailors from Portsmouth had come into town. They blew their lodging money at the bar. Mm -hmm. So now they're in a drunken stupor and they got no money, no place to stay. They see that 50 Berkeley Square was vacant and was also for sale at the time. Oh, like the whole yeah, place? Yeah, the, the whole place. So they're thinking, okay, cool. Nobody's living here. The place is for sale. They break out a basement window, and they try to find a place to sleep. The, the first floor was rat infested. Oh, God. And it was so damp that it, it just wasn't a comfortable feeling, so they go upstairs. Wrong. They eventually made their way into the same room as Sir Robert or boys. Wasn't there more rooms up there than that one? Well, I'm sure there probably was, but for some reason, this one's the one they went to. So the two sailors were Robert Martin and Edward Blunden. So they're in this room, and Blunden said that, that he had a weird feeling as soon as he entered the room. He told So he's telling Martin about mm -hmm. this, and he said that it was like there was some kind of a, a presence in there. Well, he was also the more sober of the two, apparently. So Martin just kind of dismissed uh, what Blunden's feelings were, and he said, well, we're staying here anyway, so get over it, basically. And then he had a, a rifle with him. He propped open the window with his rifle to kind of let in a breeze. So apparently they were, you know, they got the breeze going, but it was still kind of damp and uncomfortable, so they thought they would build a fire. They built a fire in the fireplace, and they were using some rotting floorboards that were around the place. The place was kind of in disarray now and, and starting mm -hmm. to fall apart. So they grabbed some of these uh, rotten floorboards and threw them in there and some broken furniture that was around. They got the fire going. It was starting to get comfy, and they went to sleep on the floor close to the fire. Of course, there was no bed or anything because the place was vacant. Shortly after midnight, Blunden starts hearing some creaking. There's mice. <laughs> well, you would think. He wakes up to this creaking sound. He notices that the door is slowly opening, that it had been closed. So a little light starts creeping through. London was terrified, and he somehow manages to wake up his buddy Martin. They both sit up, and they could hear a strange, moist, scraping sound slowly coming towards them. What the hell's a moist, scraping sound? Well, it's funny you say that because Martin later said that it sounded like something was dragging itself across the floor, but it didn't sound like a dry scrape. Does that make sense? Like if something was dragging across the floor and it was wet, it would sound, sound a little smoother than something. Oh, yeah, I guess. Maybe all the rats climbed on each other's backs <laughs> and got all the way up to the um, doorknob. And then... You've watched too many Looney Tunes. All the pressure made them all poop, and that was the wet noise. No, I guess their poop's hard. Never mind. That's disturbing that you would even come up I'm with that. I'm thinking about what could be. 
So they both jump up to their feet. And as they're standing face to face with a hideous monstrosity. Oh, my gosh. In the past, I would have probably made a Rosie O'Donnell joke here. (laughs) But it just shows how much I've grown in the past couple of years. Yes. Just want to point that out. So the only way out was through that door. And this creature was right between them and the door. Why didn't it go out the window? They're on the second floor. Oh, I'd get over it and jump. Blunden remember though, that the rifle was in the window, so he reaches for it. But just as he reached for it, the creature lunged for him and wrapped itself around his throat. Martin saw his opportunity to get the hell out of there. He ran through the door. He got out of the house and went screaming for help. He luckily ran into a police officer who was obviously skeptical because Martin was drunk but he followed him back after listening to the story to 50 Berkeley Square. So Martin and the officer, they start going up the stairs, but they didn't find any sign of blunder in the room. But they did find trail marks that had like a slimy type substance like you would see from a snail or a mm-hmm. slug or something like that. Martin saw his, gra- his, his rifle there, so he grabbed it. And then the two men searched the house. Nothing turned up until they got to the basement. Lying at the base of the stairs in the rock-walled cellar was Blunden's dismembered corpse. Oh, my gosh. His body was a mangled heap, is what the officer said. His head was wrenched violently to the side. The officer reported that his eyes were wide with unimaginable horror. And just like in the story we told before, his eyes looked like they were about to pop from his head. Okay, now, which one was which? What do you mean? Man. This was Blunden that was killed. Okay, Blunden was killed. Yeah. Was he the more drunkard? No, he was the one that was more sober. More sober. Oh now, there's gosh, a, how horrible. There's a few different variations to the story that we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that the core was the same. One of them gave the description as a shadow man-like figure with a deformed face that was um, basically there in front of the sta- sailors. And when it attacked Blunden and went for his throat, it said that he had cold, misty-looking hands. I can't believe that other guy ran back into the house. There ain't no way I would have. He went back in with a cop throwing a gun. Okay, but who cares? He had his buddy. Okay, but he had to know he was dead. Well, I'm glad to know that if we get into a situation that I can count on you to come back. I would come back for you. Oh, sure you would. Mm. So another version says that Blunden was thrown from the window, the second floor window, and was impaled on a a spike from the wrought iron fence. Oh, gosh. That would hurt. So these are the encounters that have led many investigators to say that they're of paranormal nature. Mm-hmm. There is some evidence, though, to say that whatever this thing is could be a real tangible creature of some sort. Some think that it even may be a slimy blob type creature, kind of like a giant slug. When it moves, it emits a gruesome, wet, sloppy noise. Like that? Probably close. Others think it might be like a collection of shadows that attack the victim. 
like has, all together? Yeah. Oh. Like you were talking about with the rats. Yeah. Surprisingly enough. But they attacked a victim with clawed feet and razor-sharp bird-like talons. And I'm not really sure where that part came from, because mm-hmm. it really didn't sound like that was part of the description, but that's what some people think. One eyewitness included that it had tentacles. Mm-hmm. They said it looked like a deformed octopus. It pulled itself across the floor and left a trail of slime. So there now we've got a couple of different instances where people are talking about the trail of slime. Yeah, but it seems like if it was like a blob, that couldn't really hurt you. Because it's like a blob. Tell that to Steve McQueen. Oh, that's true. This has led some researchers to think that maybe it's some type of amphibious marine animal that made its way up from the Thames River in London into the sewer system and somehow made its way into Berkeley Square through the plumbing. Oh, my goodness. It is possible that it was feeding on the enormous rat population in the house. And then... Saw some people and said, hey, this is tired of, tired of rats. There's some people. This might even be better. So we talked about the paranormal investigator, Harry Price, back on the Borley Rectory episode. Mm-hmm. Remember that? He kept coming back. Yeah. He looked into this case in the 1920s. He came across an, across an article in a local newspaper from 1790 that said 50 Berkeley Square was once the headquarters of a crew of counterfeiters. Now, this would have been, heck, 50 years earlier. So he figured that maybe the counterfeiters made up the story of ghosts and such to scare people off so they would stay away from the place, yeah, first of I mean, all. Yeah. But the other thing was they would be an excuse because if you've got a counterfeit operation, there's going to be a lot of noisiness mm-hmm. coming from the operation itself, from yeah, the machines and all that stuff yeah. they would use. And that would be an excuse for if you hear noises, oh, it's ghost and not a illegal operation going on. Price also found a story, though, from the 1840s when neighbors heard some bizarre noises coming from the house, a bunch of like bells and loud footsteps, heavy dragging sounds. They all kind of got together and they decided to go into place and check it out for themselves, but they didn't find anything. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was an instance where there was a bunch of noise and stuff. They went in there and there was nothing there. There was also an article. It was in a magazine in 1870. This is about 30 years later. And it was called Notes and Queries. And it was by W.E. Hallett. It basically stated that the house was still a mystery. The house had a room where uh, a girl saw and heard and felt such horrible things that she went mad and never recovered enough to say what she saw in the room. In the article, he mentioned Sir Robert Warboy's story. But he also said that rumors suggest that other cases of the same kind, all ending in death or madness, or both as a result of sleeping or trying to sleep in that room. Mm. At the time, it said that the only people living there was an elderly man and his wife who were the caretakers. They did not have access to that room. Once every six months, a man that was the owner would come there, lock them in the basement, then unlock that room and spend several hours inside. Price also pointed out that 50 Berkeley Square sat on prime real estate in the London area, but remained vacant for long stretches of a time. 
His personal opinion was that there was a nasty active poltergeist during the 1840s, but probably wasn't around any longer. This is kind of an interesting fact, but the first floor of 50 Berkeley Square has been an antique bookshop known as Mags Brothers since 1853. Wow. It's a long ass time. It is a long time. There have been no reported sightings in the 20th or the 21st century of this creature, but employees of the bookshop are forbidden to go to the top floor. They said that there's been a police notice hanging on the wall since the 1950s, and it says the top floor of the house is not to be used, not even for storage, and no one is sure why it's put there by the police and and what the point of it is. Wow. So obviously in a case like this, it's difficult to separate fact from fiction, Mm -hmm. but let's just say that it was a creature that came in from the sewer. Did it go back? And has it been breeding offspring somewhere in the London sewer system? Oh, man. You better get the Ninja Turtles on that crap. So what do you think? Woo, that's pretty scary. Gives you a lot to think about. So where would you put this story? Is it is it a cryptid-type story? Is it just a regular creature that somehow came up? that, Or would you consider it a haunting? I don't, I don't, know. I don't think it's a haunting at all. Mm-mm. Maybe cryptid, maybe. I don't know. That's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I thought it was a cool story. Yeah, it was really a cool story, but it just makes you wonder how, like, the people got in such mangled state so quick. Yeah, I mean, you said you I mean, don't see how a blob can hurt you, but. I mean, it's just like a big bowl of jelly. Yeah. Oh, jello. <laughs> I don't know. It's really interesting, though. But I wouldn't want to be sitting on no toilet. I don't know that. <laughs> toilet? Yeah. Oh. Okay. What? So we're going we're gonna to move ahead. Because I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show, so I want to mention it now. Okay. You know, it's not every day that you get to come across and talk to a real-life witch. I know there's several out there, but we don't get to talk to very many of them. Wow. Funny, in the business we're in, I know like four. So most people probably don't know any, and I know like four I could just talk to anytime. <laughs> but Miss Shelby Lenora, who is a practicing witch, she has decided, and she also hosts a, a Heckle and Shad podcast. So we we've talked a little bit about the show, and we had her on a um, Patreon episode at one point in time. But I thought it would be cool to tell a story about uh, Isabel Gowdy, who was, it's a witch story, and I wanted to have her on since Mm -hmm. she hosts her own podcast, and talk to her about this story, have her chime in, but then I get to ask her a bunch of questions about the whole witchcraft aspect. Nice. And it's a very interesting um, interview, to say the least, because Mm -hmm. we've had a lot of listeners bring up witchcraft, Mm -hmm. and uh, I know at one point in time... We had a listener that says that uh, she is a practicing witch, but she believes to be herself to be a Christian witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I asked this young lady if she felt like there was a such thing as Christ- tr- Christian witches and what her thoughts were and stuff. Uh, because there's obviously just like any other religion, witchcraft has different, yeah. you know, different 
variables to it. So it just depends on which type of witch you are and, and all that. So we we got to just establish about the different types of witchcraft and good and evil and spells and some of the stuff that she's done. And so it's a really fun interview. And after we get through with the Patreon stuff and talking about the shows and stuff, I'm going to play that at the end. Okay. And we will... You know what? Let's do your song right now. We're going to talk, because we'll do that. We'll play the little intro to your song. Okay. That uh, the Tragic did. And then we'll jump jump into the Patreon (laughs) stuff. And they say... I'm trying, I keep pushing you away while on the inside I'm dying. Screaming out for help. Why can't I accept it? I'm stubborn as hell. It's so quick to re- So there's the world debut of Tracy singing in a rap song. <laughs> and when if if Mike it's he's undecided on when that song is going to come out, when it does, we'll make it sure that it's available to all you guys. But for right now, that's all I can really do. Mm-hmm. But if just let us know, give us some feedback on it. Like it, don't like it. Thought it was cool. Want to hear the rest of the song? Something. Just give us some feedback on it because I think I definitely think Mike would like to hear. Yeah, some absolutely. Of that. Do you feel like a superstar? Will you do that live at one of the live shows? If Mike is there. <laughs> okay. I don't think it'll sound good with just that little piece I sing, and then that's it. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some Patreon stuff real quick. We had uh, four new joiners this week. Preston Janetto, Joy, Rachel, and Julia Miller. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you all. Thank you so much. That means the world to us. It you does. guys are awesome. And then we've got some iTunes reviews. We've and got a bunch of iTunes reviews. Yep. All very nice. Amber, Algla Fort, Gralion0164, Just Jess, please. Whore LaBeouf. It could be. Poor L.A. Buff. I don't know. Could be. Grimsley Michaels. Eddie Z. 92. Misbehaved. <laughs> C. Castanguay. O. Senriza. J. Slagle. Risu Knott. Love Bibby. Izzy 311. And that is J. Slagle 17. What did I say? You just left out the 17. Well, I think they'll figure out. They're going to be that many Jay Slagles. Oh. Okay, real quick before we play that interview, let's talk about a couple of exciting things show-wise. First of all, Houston is like two weeks away. I can't believe it. I can't get over it. So it's going to be a fun show. So excited. Two shows in one day. It's the first time we've done that. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait. I can't wait either. Then... We've got uh, Bobby Mackey's is the next one that's been sold out sometime. Houston's both are sold out. But the next show that's available, Indianapolis, you heard the on there mm-hmm. at the beginning, a little commercial for that. Justin Rimmel in his 37 podcast. Mm-hmm. Us, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Natasha Anchor is coming in 
I cannot even from get Australia. Wet either. Oh my god! And she did say she was going to bring her support kangaroo. Oh, nice! <laughs> but that's going to be fun. The, all these shows are on the uh, the website, so you can go see what we got, what uh, what's available, what t- has tickets available, and you can buy tickets straight there to take you to the link. But here's the big news. I don't have dates yet because I may need to change the week that we originally thought, but we're going to do a show in New York City and Philadelphia back-to-back nights in October. Oh, my gosh. Is, this is the craziest thing. I've never been to New York so I'm excited about that. I've never been to Philly. I'm excited about that because I hear it's just so beautiful there, and I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. So uh, we just got to get the scheduling worked out. It's going mm-hmm. to happen. It's just a matter of we initially we thought it would be the 11th and the 12th, but it may be the following week. Yeah. It's probably going to be the following week. But we'll, we'll have in the next two weeks, we'll have uh, dates and everything lined out for you and places and all that. So mm-hmm. right now, we're just working out details. But that's going to happen, so... And the most part is getting to see you guys. That's the best gift ever, and that's why we're so excited. And that's one of the reasons why we're why we scheduled up there because we did we were pretty much done with shows for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. But then we had this kind of fall in our lap, and I don't I, I really don't know why I think it's amazing, but our biggest listener base city wise is New York, and it's not even close. I mean, we literally seven percent of every listen. Well, not of every listen, but mm-hmm. 7% of all the listens we get are from New York City. That's amazing. And the next closest city is like 2%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people would say, well, it's because New York's so big. Yeah, but Chicago's big, LA's big, and all that. And we're not anywhere close to those mm-hmm. numbers in those cities. So, but nonetheless, we feel very blessed. Right. So we're, but, but because we felt like there are so many listeners up in the New York area that we would do Philly and we would do New York because mm-hmm. Philly's only an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't get tickets to the one show, you'll be able to get them to the other, hopefully. But back-to-back nights, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. We love you all so much. And it's going to be us and Twisted Philly Mm -hmm. on both of those shows. So it'll just be two of us. But that means we'll both be doing extended sets. Yeah. So, all right. Are you ready to hear this interview with Shelby Lenora? Very excited. All right. Well, let's give it a wrap. Hey guys, I got a special guest for you today. We're here with uh, Shelby Lenora. She's the host of the Heckle and Shad podcast, one of the hosts, I should say. And I wanted to have her join me because we're going to do a little story on witchcraft. And Shelby is also a practicing witch. And you guys have had a lot of questions in the past. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to bring someone on who's practicing and ask some questions. And I'm sure a lot of you are probably thinking. So welcome to the show, Shelby. Hi, I'm excited to be on. We're excited to have you on. You uh, you were on the show briefly on a promo, but this is your first time actually being on the show. And uh, your podcast is kind of starting to take off now, so it's perfect opportunities for both of us. I know. I'm excited. I'm nervous. It's a whole lot of things. Before we get into the story, tell me a little bit about your podcast. Okay. Well, like you said, it's Heckle and Shide. And we cover paranormal, true crime, conspiracy. We talk a lot about different forms of witchcraft and how to mix it with your everyday life. So it's, it's a little bit different, but I, I like it. I like talking about insane things. So, Well, and you have been described by a friend of mine okay. as the female Brohio Hell yes. Podcast. So, 
<laughs> so anybody who's listened to Bro Ohio kind of knows what they're going to get into when they listen to your show. That's absolutely perfect. <laughs> all right. So let's do this. And we'll get into, at the end of this, we'll get into how they can find you and, and uh, all that on social media. But the story we're going to do tonight is on a young lady by the name of Isabel Gowdy. Are you familiar with who she is? I have heard the name, yes. Okay. So we're going to jump right into this. What it is, if if you know anything about the history of uh, witchcraft and the trials and all that, one of the biggest prosecutors back in the uh, the early ages of the witchcraft uh, conspiracies and all that was Scotland. Mm-hmm. They had an estimated four to six thousand people that were accused, tried, and executed for witchcraft in the late sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth century. Now, mm-hmm. per capita, that's one of the biggest rates of witchcraft persecution in all of Europe. That makes me nauseous. The most famous of all of these was Isabel Gowdy. Now, Gowdy was your typical 17th century housewife. She was born Catholic, but she later converted to Protestant. She married an elder. And then, other than being dissatisfied with her husband, she seemed perfectly normal. <laughs> that is, because, you know, you couldn't be unsatisfied with your husband back then. That just wasn't something that was done. Oh, it was just perfect. He glazed right over that. Uh, well, of course. So that is, until she was accused of witchcraft along with a, a coven in Aldern, I think it's Aldern, Scotland. So, Gowdy, she was a woman. She had fire-red hair. She was incredibly beautiful. And I think that, as we've learned in some of these cases, that was reason enough for the people around you, especially other women at the time, to just hate you. If you were beautiful, you were were ready to be persecuted. I mean, unfortunately, I, I have to say that's not of the time. A lot of women are still like that, which sucks. Well, that's that's true too. But I mean, as far as the witchcraft goes, they would use that as a reason. To, oh, absolutely. To accuse somebody. No, trust me, it's like that today, without <laughs> doubt. So she was she was brought to trial in Morayshire. She confessed to being a witch on April thirteenth, sixteen sixty two. But that's not what the problem is. A lot of women confess to being a witch. What was the big deal with uh, with uh, Gowdy? Is that she did it. According to all court records, she provided this testimony and confession without torture. Oh, now, in this time, in this time period, though, torture was only recorded as having occurred if it was ordered by the court after the trial began. So it's a possibility that she could have been starved beforehand, or not allowed to sleep, or had her legs crushed, or mm-hmm. something of that nature. But it wouldn't have been counted as torture if it happened pre-trial. So her testimony, yeah, her testimony was essentially the same on four different occasions, which does seem unlikely if she made this confession under some type of duress, I would say. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, I agree. At no point did Gowdy ever dispute that she was indeed a witch. Good. Now, the, the testimony that Gowdy gave shocked the courts because... Not just in a prolific nature, but also in the details that, especially the erotic details of her coven's rituals. Now, Gowdy claimed that she could turn into an animal, specifically a rabbit, and she cursed the sons of her enemies, consorted with fairies, uh, raised storms, and had ritualistic sex with the devil himself. Oh, wow. Okay. She said that she had been initiated into the coven in 1647, which was 15 years earlier, and she had risen to become the queen of the coven. 
So she was a high priestess? Yes. Okay. She she graphically described Satan's penis oh boy. and his quote unquote code emissions within her. She claimed to have a secret name, originally Janet, and then as the queen or maiden of the coven, Jean Martine. She would engage in sex with male members of the coven at rituals held every quarter. So the truly fantastic part of all this is that she repeated these details on four different occasions from April 13th through May 27th of 1662 without ever varying uh, from it at all. So it was the same every time. And you would think that a woman that was forced into confession, it's unlikely would she keep the story exactly the same. And if she was, you know, a little on the schizo side, it's probably unlikely that her story would have been that consistent as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been to rituals. I've seen some of the stuff that happens and some of the things that people claim they see when they're having a vision or when they're under a trance. And I... I'm not going to dispute or argue anything that she said. So, well, and here's the the unique thing: we we know a lot of these the, the famous witches in history, mm-hmm. uh, and what happened after the fact. The the thing about Isabel Gowdy is there really is no record as to what happened to her after the trial. Most assume that she was probably uh, either hung or burned at the stake or both, because it was pretty common back then to do both. They would hang you and then burn you at the stake just to get rid of the body. Well, but there's no Yeah, there was no evidence at all to show what happened to her. That's so And yeah. Interesting. But I will say her detailed descriptions of rites and rituals have been used as the basis of modern Wiccan practices. Okay. And she is seen somewhat as a patron saint to those pagans that were persecuted for their beliefs. Interesting. So that may explain why you said you could, you know, attest to some of the things that were described, and that may be why, because a lot of what she described is what has been used since then. That makes sense, yeah. So with that being said, uh, obviously, being a practicing witch today, you can look back uh, much like an African-American would look back at the slave days or uh, and just just shake your head at, at, my God, how could this happen? Right. Um, what I want to find out from you is when you say you're a practicing witch, what does that entail? I know if I, if I said I was a practicing Catholic, I would most people would know that that means going to mass. It means going to this, going to that. If someone said they were a practicing uh, of the Jewish faith, what that would entail. What does it mean to be a witch? Are there different variations of witches? I know people talk about the Wiccan witches. I heard white witches, you know, uh, black witches. Tell me a little bit and separate so I know what I'm dealing with when I talk about witches in general. Okay. So a practicing witch, quite honestly, it's more of a lifestyle. It's get up every morning, at least me and a lot of my girls do, and we add cinnamon in our coffee because cinnamon is a good herb for casting intentions. So you stir your coffee to the left, you cast your intention, and your intention is set for the day. And as we go through the day, there's different little things that we do and habits that we have. Um, We'll stop and project different forms of energy or light around 
And that, that kind of just varies between witches. There are a lot of different kinds of witches. Like you said, we have white witches, green witches, gray witches, black witches. We have kitchen witches. We have all, all kinds of things. The best area to put me in would be a gray witch. And a gray witch works with both the dark and the light. So I will do spells or rituals or different things like that that are specific to the light, like a healing or a protection. Most people would just call it a regular prayer. Um, whereas if I go to, to deal with a dark magic, that's normally where we're moving into um, revenge and hexes and different things like that. But with that being said, a lot of witches see things and are shown things, and it's not always from just the light side or just the dark side. I more often work with people that would be categorized as dark, but they're not dark. I don't know how to explain that. Um, I deal a lot with helping people when they've lost their loved ones. So I wind up dealing a lot with uh, an archangel called Azrael, who is the angel of death, basically. Um, so a lot of the stuff I do, I do on that side. Okay, so let me ask you this. You had mentioned that some of the dark side stuff, like revenge and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and and if I'm getting this wrong, correct me, because it's not meant to, as a disrespectful thing, but when do you feel like it's okay to do something that's dark as far as like a revenge spell or something? Or is that something that explain to me how that works as far as uh, when you feel like that's an appropriate thing to do? So uh, in my opinion, that's something that should be approached with a lot of caution and a lot of knowledge on the topic. I don't want, which is running around just being like, Oh, I'm mad. I'm going to do this. Um, I, practice more of bindings and when I do a binding or a dream trap or something along those lines it's people that have physically harmed women or that are in prison for awful things it's never I've never ever used something like that on somebody who just pissed me off or like an ex-boyfriend I don't do that I won't do that because one of the things I believe and not all witches do but is the power of three and the law of three. Um, so it takes a lot to push me to that point. Okay. So let me ask you this, and, and this is just a personal opinion. Uh, I don't expect you to speak for, for everyone, mm-hmm. but I've got a friend that, that I'll, I'll leave unnamed that she's also a practicing witch, okay. but she sees herself as a Christian witch. Uh, now, I've not really dealt into a whole lot of detail with her uh, on, on these beliefs, uh, but she has vaguely uh, spelled it out for me that she does feel like that in, in her situation that you could be both. You can be a practicing witch, but also be a Christian. What are your thoughts on that situation as far as you're concerned? My own personal opinion on that is... One or the other... Um, I, I don't just based on the different things that witches do, whether you're a light witch or a dark witch, or you're in the middle, like I am, um, it's really hard to 
do some of the different things and deal with some of the different things you're doing and seeing if you're based in religion. Because there are so many rules um, that come along with religion. But that's just that's just my opinion. Um, obviously, I do a lot of light work as well. So I can understand where she would tie in the Christianity and the, the positive stuff to the light side. Um, cause there is a lot of prayer. There is a lot of protection. There is a lot of, you know, give this person this and asking, asking for these different types of things, which, yeah, I get why she relates it. I personally don't think that religion should be tied into being a witch. Now explain to me the difference or is there a difference in witchcraft and paganism? Are they similar, but not the same? Are they the same? Are they completely different? To explain to me the difference. So they are different. Um, not all witches are Wiccan or pagan and vice versa. There is obviously some overlap, but Wiccans tend to worship and pray to the Lord and Lady. Um, and there usually is one ruling entity or entity, that's not the right word. You know what I mean. Um, whereas witches are far more natural like we we more worship um the earth and nature and we work with water and rain and the dirt and different things like that and a lot of people's energies and there's no every single witch can do whatever is right for them when they are doing their work whereas with wiccan it's very much this is what you do one two three four that's how it's done um, gotcha. And that that doesn't work for me because a lot of spell work is a, you have to adjust it for different people that you're working with based on the situation. So, someone in the group, uh, and, and I didn't double check this, and that's my fault for not knowing this. But someone in the group asked a question that you responded to, so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. About um, asking if they'd ever left offerings for uh, a certain. Uh, spiritual guide or whatever, and I can't remember the name, but you responded. You got to be careful when with this. And uh, another listener responded about he was a trickster. Mm-hmm. Tell tell me a little bit about uh, these different beings, spiritual beings, and leaving offerings and stuff like that. So, I mean, I guess the easiest way for me to do it is to tie it into religion. So when you go to any kind of church, there's usually people don't realize they're actually giving some kind of offering, whether it's tithing, whether it's money in the offering tray, you are giving an offering to the person that you're worshiping at the time. Um, it, it's a similar concept, but with us, we can call upon certain energies or individuals on the other side that we want to work with. But like was stated in the comments, that person, I want to say it was Baba Yaga, but I don't remember. Um, I don't think it was. It was, he's based in New Orleans. I know that, but he was a trickster. Yeah, it started with an L, like Ledger or Ledger or something. I can't, I just, I drew a blank, but, but yeah, it's, he, it, it, he was a trickster. He, he has the, uh, what he does is he lures you in basically with a false sense of security and it is simple offerings. And then as you progressively go down, his goal is to take your soul. So you have to know who you're dealing with. I have never 
given an offering to anybody. Um, I always say thank you to the spirits that have come forward to work with me in the time that I've needed them um, and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the safest routes to do it. But I do know people that have done offerings it, and it varies to different degrees on who you're dealing with. With him, it's um, alcohol and he likes nuts. With, um, who is it? There's one of them that likes wine. There's a female god that likes wine. And she'll come forward. But she's more of a revenge for uh, vengeful lovers. You work with her. But I've never done it. I don't, people don't know what they're getting themselves into a lot of times. So I don't recommend it. So let me ask you this. So if someone came to you and said, hey, Shelby, man, I've really got this guy or I really got this girl that, that they're just not into me and I'm really into them. I want to cast a spell. Is that something that can be done or is that something that's more along the lines of like myth? It is something that can be done, but it is something that I will not do. I am a firm believer, especially with witchcraft in if I'm casting something that's going to alter something, you have to have earned that, if that makes sense. It has to be earned if it's going to alter you negatively. And if it's positive, then that's done a specific way. I do not believe in taking away somebody's free will. If they are not attracted to you already, if they don't want to involve themselves emotionally with you, I am absolutely not going to intervene and make that happen. It is something that can be done, and there are witches out there who will make the spells for you, um, but I will not do it. So let me ask you this, if this is even a possibility, and and this is just hypothetical, mm-hmm. but let's say you had a friend, and she was in an abusive relationship, and but she just, she wouldn't hear it. Everybody around her sees it's a toxic relationship, and... She's just not, she can't see it for herself. Would you ever interfere in a situation like that with a, a, a spell where either A, she would see it or the guy would just leave on his own? Or is that something that can be done? That is something that I have done. Um, okay. So with that kind of a situation, again, it's about wordplay and how you're casting. That's very much along the lines of, for him, I would cast for something to let him feel what he gives others. But I would want him to feel it incredibly powerfully. So any pain he causes somebody, whether it be physical or emotional, I want him to feel it. So there's that. And for her, I would ask that, you know, there was some kind of confidence shift and self-love that just moved through her with so much force that she couldn't stand to be there anymore. Now, I'm going to shift gears for a second. I know um, I, I saw you post something the other day about giving... I, re- I got to stop doing that. <laughs> well, this <laughs> is not some of the typical stuff you post. This is about readings and stuff. I saw that you do readings and situations like that. Mm-hmm. Is this something that has to do with the witchcraft, or is this something you were just blessed with uh, uh, naturally? That was something that I was given naturally, but as time has progressed, I've obviously honed in on it and practiced it and delved into lots of different things to see what works best for me and my guides and the people that I'm reading. So yeah, I do that a lot. Okay. 
And last question, and then I'll give you a chance to plug your plug your show. Where do you see, uh, and this is more, I guess, like a, from a religion standpoint, what do you believe happens in the afterlife? Do you believe in a heaven and hell aspect? Do you believe that we just all go back into nature? Do you believe in reincarnation? And I know that's a very loaded question for a very short answer, but just in general, what are your quick thoughts on all those subjects? I do believe in reincarnation. I do believe in different forms of punishment in your reincarnated state. Heaven and hell is definitely not as clear-cut as that, though there are different places and areas that spirits will go once they cross over. Once oh, People have this common misconception that once you cross over, you're just floating around. Being some of the readings that I do are medium readings, one of the things that happens immediately when you cross over is you're obviously met by loved ones, and then you go into an area or space where you have your life review. And if you haven't learned your lessons or you have done something that was not planned out in essence, you then see it all highlighted and you're dealt with on the other side accordingly. But again, it's not quite heaven and hell. Gotcha. So what are your thoughts this is just a stupid question, but I've always wanted this. So like you've got a situation where let's say uh, a man is married okay, and he's hopefully in love with his wife, hopelessly in love with his wife and she passes away. Mm-hmm. He remarries. He falls just as much love with the other one. Mm-hmm. She passes. Oh my God. Well, now this gentleman passes and he goes to the afterlife, but he had two people that he was hopelessly in love with in that lifetime. Okay. You know, you always hear people say that, oh man, when, you know, you'll finally get to be with so-and-so again. But in a situation where you got two people that you loved equally on earth, what do you think happens in the afterlife when, when you're there now and then both of these women are there? I mean, is that a situation where you would have to choose or is there no such thing as choosing one over the other in the afterlife. There isn't because the restrictions and confinement on loving someone and the ego of jealousy and different things like that, that's human. That's a very humanistic thing. So when we pass over and we are in our um, soul form and our spirit form and different things like that, that's, that's not, that's not a thing that people have to deal with. If they're both there to greet him when he passes away, good they should be they all shared some kind of love and that's fine and they'll go over and do their thing but there isn't any of that kind of restriction or bullshit basically that humans have to deal with over there that's comforting because i always wondered like like if if a a husband seemed like he was like the greatest husband in the world but he was out doing all this shady stuff, cheating and all that stuff, and his wife never knew it. And then she passes away. Would she immediately be like, well, damn, I found out all this stuff you were doing that I didn't know and be heartbroken on the other side. But but it doesn't sound like that those emotions carry over. No, not necessarily. I mean, they can obviously bring things up that's happening. But when you're on the other side, at least based on the readings I have done, you see things 
from a very different perspective where if he was out cheating and different things like that here in the physical form most women's reaction is you know you're an asshole how could you do this yada 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 whereas on the other side there's more the ability to okay well he's broken like why is he seeking this love and attention everywhere like what's wrong does he need this does he need this they're able to look at it from a far more healthy view, I guess. They don't get caught up in those emotions like we do. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that means everyone can run around and cheat on their wives, so settle down. <laughs> Shelby, it's been a blast, and I, I appreciate it, man. It's been fun uh, getting to learn a little bit about you, and uh, let's learn a little more about the show. So, Heckle and Shide, uh, very hard to spell. It, yeah. As, I had a hard time finding it. You might have should have picked something a little bit easier, but that's fine. I know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just it's Jekyll and Hyde, like spell wise. You just H E K Y L L N and then Shide. So S H Y D E. Oh. And where where can they find you on social media? Oh, you guys can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Snapchat, and everything is Heckle and Shide. I want to say there's a Twitter, but listen, I never use it. I very, I never remember that it's there. Um, yeah, and you can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, basically anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find it. Awesome. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that puts the wraps on this week's show. Hopefully by next week we'll have all the dates and everything down for the philly and uh new york show mm-hmm. but yep and we hope you all enjoyed your day today and hope you all have a blessed week and thank you guys so much for hanging in with us we appreciate it yep we'll see you soon bye guys hey guys hillbilly horror stories has an assortment of ways that you can follow us on social media if you're interested you can like our fan page on facebook or you can join our facebook group both of those are hillbilly horror stories just do a search on facebook and you'll find both of them if you're into instagram it's hillbilly underscore horror underscore stories And if you're into Snapchat or Twitter, it's HillbillyPod on both of those. Send us a message. We always answer back, but you can at least keep up with what we're doing one way or the other. 